Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to Mad Get Radio, episode number 42, the show where we chat shit about Ninth Age and bring you all the hottest topics from across the Ninthosphere. On tonight's show, we are joined by Hombre de Mondo, a regular on the forum and a member of the Ninth Age background team, who's here tonight to chat to us all about 3D printing and his brand new company and why 3D printing might just save the hobby from this impending apocalypse, which everyone's talking about. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, which apocalypse in particular are you referring to? Oh, there's, <laughs> there's like many. five of them, isn't there? Yeah, they are. But, uh, they are growing. Um, there seems to be a a, po- uh, a hobby apocalypse. Uh, everyone seems to be talking about, you know, the end is nigh and everything like that. Yeah. And there's been a lot of that going around recently. So uh, we'll maybe focus on that one. But if another apocalypse gets in the way, uh, we'll probably bring that up as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I uh, I post a lot on the forums, so I assume some people will be familiar with me. I'm I'm on the uh, background team right now, focusing on that. Uh, also, website team. But you know, you never hear about the website team. But the website team is awesome. The silent workers. I guess that's the stressful one, though, right? When everything goes wrong. Um. Yeah, but that hasn't happened yet, thankfully. <laughs> and maybe that's I'm another apocalypse we can add to the list. <laughs> The Russian cyber hackers are going to be on us now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as always, I'm joined by the Doctor Who to my generic companion, it's Paul. How's it going, buddy? It's going good, man. I'm a bit. Um, I'm still coming to terms with the fact that there's such a thing as cinnamon coke. What is this? Well, we were going to talk about 3D printing, but actually, we were talking about this before we started recording, and it seems to have grabbed the attention of everyone involved. <laughs> uh, that apparently there's such a thing as cinnamon coke, and we're not okay with this. I mean, I might be. I just have to find it and try it. I, I'm, I'm into semi-weird flavors, but... I don't know, man. That sounds... It's, it's on the Tesco website. Is it actually? Yeah. Well, there you go. Go hunt. Holy shit. What the fuck is that? I've never seen this. And uh, if Cinnamon Coke are listening, we are very interested in sponsorship rights. Well, that's your leaving gift sorted, Andrew. Oh, there we go. Absolutely cash in hand. Couple of cases. <laughs> Money's rolling in. <laughs> We've sold six cans. Um, right, so obviously on tonight's show, we are going to be focusing in on 3D printing and uh, Hombre and a few others have started up their own website to sell some of these uh, 3D printing appliances i'll leave it there just now and i'm sure hombre will uh, tell us all about it in a second uh, but before we do that hombre do you want to give us all a little bit of background as to who you are what you do in the project and what your kind of ninth age background is sure yeah so um i discovered ninth age uh, about a year after games workshop uh killed uh warhammer fantasy i had been playing warhammer fantasy since roughly uh sixth edition uh and obviously i'm swedish so the ninth age being born out of the you know swedish competitive rule set that felt like okay hey this is probably good uh, <laughs> and then i i joined the local gaming club and been playing for a couple of years 
So I'm, I mainly play Empire, though I also have uh, an army of rats. And with 3D printing, I am starting on an undining undining yeah let's call it that. <laughs> they're not they're not eating so technically I'm they haven't eaten for a while anyway yeah uh, undining dynasties uh, as well as uh, saurian ancients but with amazon oh. models and both of those armies are going to be more or less completely uh, 3d printed oh cool so how is your soul after years of playing empire because uh, i lasted about two years and i wanted to just cry and uh, lock myself oh, in so. rooms. They're just, they're just an army that takes and never gives. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you take a lot of hits uh, playing Empire, but I, I feel that Empire, um, they're, they're in a pretty good spot. Uh, occupying kind of the mid-lower tiers. Uh, you have to you have to be on edge with Empire because as, as soon as some things start going south and you can't support, your units can't support each other, it all goes south very quick <laughs> for me that's known as turn two <laughs> <laughs> so are you a calf bus man or are you still big blocks of halberdiers and spears and stuff like that uh so i, I it's really 50 50 okay. uh, either i just go for one huge uh, cavalry block with a bunch of characters and just make that as powerful as possible or i go with um big blocks of core i, I never play imperial guard Wow, bold. So, man, men in pajamas or big knights—that's it. No middle ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my uh, my theme is kind of red army, communist Russia themed. So, it's uh, no weapons. More so, men in. Oh, wait a minute! You've put photos up on, on the, the forum, right? Mm-hmm. I have definitely seen these. I've just got like a really vivid uh, flashback of seeing the the hammer and sickle. <laughs> yeah, lots of those. <laughs> class okay right right okay it's all starting to come together now i see yeah there was um someone someone said hey uh you know communist symbols and stuff like that that's kind of spicy what what you know <laughs> would you would you make a, a nazi army and i'm like don't be silly i do that for my 40k army this is fantasy <laughs> yeah a nazi army might be uh, a little bit controversial uh but soviets you can definitely get away with uh class okay so what you said that you're part of the web team and the the background team yeah so we've got to ask um are you responsible for things like the poet caimans or the the fact that the 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 warriors of the dark god dragon is scared of flying are these (laughs) any of your background decisions because if they are we might need to cut the interview very Mm. short Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there is probably one thing uh, that some people have remarked on that's directly my fault, and that is the uh, the prequel memes in the Vermin Swarm book. Ah, uh, okay. I see. But most people seem to like him, so that's so okay. What? That's okay. Well, that's a that's a pass. That's not actually vintage content. That's just <laughs> slagging off vintage <laughs> content. So that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I haven't been with background team for that long. Okay. Uh, currently, I am in charge of coordinating the Dread Elf uh, full uh, Legendary Army book. So okay. writing uh, writing all the fluff for that. I've noticed in the um, one of the internal threads, I've noticed you trying to like corral people's opinions for some of the the, the names for the new Dread Elf book. Uh, yes. What is your um? 
as a background member, what's your opinion on uh, a lot of the names that have been used in some of the other legendary army books? Um, You're fishing so hard here. Yeah. Do you, do you have any specific examples? <laughs> no, I think I think by and large the names are fine, but I think there's there's definitely been um, instances where things have been decided upon that have been highly questionable that have inevitably been removed i think the mobile tower from the id book is a, a good example of that okay yeah that was before my time so i don't know but in in general uh yeah what one one concern uh, regarding some of the names uh that's been raised and this is mainly in in uh in relation to the vermin swarm book so the vermin swarm have a roman inspired kind of thing mm-hmm and some people remarked that hey in the dread elf uh, book you have some roman you know legionnaires and stuff mm-hmm. those kinds of names um so uh, i'm not going to say what kind of decisions we're making but but we're we're taking a look at a lot of some of these things um one thing that i i would like to say is that i don't want to speak for anyone but myself uh you know what i say on this podcast <laughs> or anyone or anywhere else is just we'll be used speaking. against everyone in the background team yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no but, that's yeah, okay so that's we, okay. Personal, what i can't say personal this is personal, yeah yeah so it, the it staff is, it hat is, very, is off yes um but what, what i do want to say is that the background team and most other teams like we we read all all the feedback i don't think there's a single post that we haven't read in regards to uh, what people think about, you know, names or or background themes in this case. So I know that there are some people in the community who feel like uh, they're not being listened to, but uh, rest assured you are being listened to. Whether we choose to act upon your specific feedback, that's another matter. (laughs) See, we are friends with Ed Murdoch, who's Scottish Knight. Yep. So we know exactly that his hair does and he's choosing to ignore us <laughs> 99% of the time. I think it's higher than that. <laughs> well, being that Scottish Knight is my boss, I can only say that he's exactly right about everything he does. Ah, oh, I see. Don't worry. You, you'll change your mind. Yeah, so maybe. So in the party line, spot the fucking <laughs> communist-themed empire player. <laughs> hey, man, you never know. <laughs> I can sneak in a prequel meme in the Vermin's one. <laughs> so we've got a bunch of stuff that we want to talk about tonight. Um, we've got a uh, salt mine coming up, and of course, the main topic of tonight's show is all going to be about 3D printing. And um, of course, that's going to be en- encompassing a little bit more of a more general chat about just 3D printing in-, in general. And we're going to be hearing about what Hombre and some of his pals have been up to as well. Um, but before we do that, I've got a few announcements that we need to make. That's right. We've got a new section, news, which will not reoccur. Um, the first of which is that the second edition of the Essence of War main rulebook is now out at time of recording. So if you are an Essence of War player or you're tempted to try Essence of War, go and check it out. Uh, the second version of the alpha uh, release of the book is now available for everyone to play test. And I know that Pateglio and Cole would be very interested in hearing people's feedback. So go and check it out. There's actually been quite a lot of kind of media coverage of this. I know that Remy's released uh, developer notes, which are very interesting if you're interested in kind of game design. Um, and T, uh, T9A Byron have done a video and the PTG guys have also done a video. So if that's your kind of bag, go and check that out. 
The second announcement has to do with the Vermin Swarm Legendary Army book, which we will be returning to in a wee second. Uh, some of our kind of long-time listeners might be surprised that we didn't release any Vermin Swarm material when the book was released. Um, that is because, uh, and I don't have to uh, take off a, a team hat here, uh, because I would say this even a hat at the team hat. Um, the release was a bit shambolic in terms of community <laughs> engagement. Uh, and by shambolic, I mean that there wasn't any coordination. Uh, so there was just a drop ball somewhere and the, the community engagement team weren't, weren't told very far in advance. And uh, again. again, and it kind of meant that Paul and I were kind of fucked because we we're quite busy and we didn't have time to do anything. So what we've decided to do instead is that we will release a review of the Vermin Swan book, but we won't do it in the usual format that we've done where we kind of go through it entry by entry. What we're going to do is we're both going to go away, read the book, uh, get a few games in against it, and we'll get a couple guests on, and we'll have a little bit more of a uh, kind of review with perspective, hopefully, um, because everyone that's listened to this and is a, a Ninth Age player will know that the Vermin Swarm book is catching a lot of flack right now. <laughs> uh, so hopefully, given it a little bit of time to settle and get a few games in against it and things like that will, will help us develop a little bit of a more fair perspective. Um, or at least that's the plan. We'll probably just slag it anyway, but we'll wait and see. Um, the third and final announcement that I need to make before we get stuck in is that the uh, there has recently been an errata release. Um, so just go and check all army books. Um, only some of them have been tweaked and there's little clarifications and things. Um, but the big ones are that there is yet another release for ID and the just this continual battle to try and smash that book into <laughs> a representative uh, shape. Um, and that there will be a Dread Elf update coming out imminently. So if you're a Dread Elf player, do keep your eyes peeled. So before we get stuck into the main topic of the show, it's time for everyone to get their daily dose of salt. Yeah, baby. It's salt time. So on tonight's salt mine, uh, we've got a very special salt mine because it's not being made up by Paul and I. <laughs> uh, Hombre has come on with his very own salt mine and it has something to do with the filthy rats. So Hombre, do you want to let us know what you are salty about? Yeah, yeah, sure. So obviously, you know, this thing, the salt mine, I'm I'm allowing the salt to flow. Uh, otherwise, it would be uh, uh, much of a fun segment. Uh, okay, so a, a little bit of background. So I... I professionally am a uh, a product designer. I've worked in video games. I work with med tech. Um, So I I know a lot about the design process. Uh, One of the things that I... I actually told the Vermisworm lab team this, that depending on how they manage to take, uh, you know, the pre-lab Vermisworm, and make something really good out of it. Being its own unique kind of thing while also maintaining some of those characteristics uh, that players expect and and like and want from from the legacy of this army. Uh, I told them that, hey, my shape in the Ninth Age project as a whole will depend a lot on the outcome of this book. No pressure, obviously. But honestly, I, I think I think the Vermisworm Lab is 
in a great place mechanically. And this is an alpha that's been released. And what that means is that it's not finalized yet. There's going to be a lot of things to hammer out, a lot of things to polish. And I find that there is a lot of people who jump on every opportunity to shoot this book and the developers down, saying that it's horrible in every single way. The themes suck. It's too OP. Um, and just everything is wrong with it. And obviously, criticism is very important. It might well be that the book is OP right now. I actually haven't played it or played against it uh, because of a certain virus. <laughs> but um, I, I think, I think, yeah, there's there's way too many people who are just jumping on this book, uh, jumping on the designer, saying this book we we can't run it at tournaments. It's too good. It's too crazy. Uh, why isn't all armies getting all these awesome special rules? Uh, why is there a Roman theme? Why is there a this and that? And I find that a lot of feedback is quite a, not substantiated. I find a lot of people who just claim, uh, throw out claims that this book, these, this unit is way too OP because look at my math. Or they haven't read the design guidelines. Uh, it's like, wh why are there so many models? Well, have you read the design guidelines? This is supposed to be a swarm. Um, and I've been, I've been kind of sticking my neck out for the developers a bit because <laughs> I think they overall they've done a great job. Uh, all, you know, when it, when a book comes out and it's an alpha, that means there are definitely going to be changes. There are going to be some things that are too complicated that are going to be to be streamlined going to be some things that you need to nerf because they're too good and maybe some things to buff because they're too bad but i have i have yet to see for me any convincing argument that the core mechanics that make up this army uh are bad in any way i i think they fit the army very well okay so the Saltiness is about the reception and just the general negativity. I I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. it's uh, it's 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 partly that, and it's also the I don't know. Have you noticed that like every <laughs> every thread on the forum is about the Vermin's form? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's called the ID effect. I was yeah. going to say it's yeah, just their yeah, yeah. turn. People are fed up with talking about ID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. And it's uh, I, I've seen I've seen some crazy posts, not necessarily on the forums, but like in you know screen caps from Facebook's uh, messages or uh, like in public groups, WhatsApp groups. Um, people like my art, my list can't be used. Uh, you know, my entire army has to be remade from scratch. And it's like, guys, it's not that drastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, Paul, do you have any opening remarks? I mean, in terms of like the community's reception of the book, I mean, I, I don't really know because I don't go on those forums. Like, um, I the forums I tend to read or that I have read that have had any kind of criticism of the Vermintorn book have all been internal, and a lot of the criticism has came from people that have played the book. 
Yep. Rather than people that are just, as you say, math hammering. So I'm inclined, even if people have only played one or two games, you know, like it's it's hard to get a good overall impression of any book playing it once or twice. Yep. Um, but certainly with the some of the playtesting guys, I know that they've played a bunch of games mm-hmm. and there are certain criticisms that they would have of the book yep. that have been consistent across editions. Um, and as you say, it's still an alpha and maybe after the public playtesting, that'll generate enough feedback that they'll be like, right, okay, playtesting was right or whatever like we're, we're gonna make a tweak there and we'll yeah, see exactly. how it goes and, from there. and in general i'm playtesting excluded from this because if, if you've been playtesting these books you have a good understanding of it then then you know go nuts with your criticisms yeah but no, you i'd know, agree with one you, like, day that after negativity the is best. and you have people who are like this is the worst thing ever um mm. yeah i think um it's one of the things that puts me off reading a lot of the forums is just people saying I played one game this is shit <laughs> and you're like you so what you, you played one game big deal like yeah. even if you're a good player like so what like something that we kind of touched on in previous episodes is like when you're developing a list like you want to play it a lot yeah and yeah, you want to exactly. play it against one a lot two of different games things. don't matter you know I've I've uh, I've scored a 20 to 0 victory once against an ETC player that doesn't mean anything. It yeah. really does. I am not that good. Who was the ETC player? Uh, Logilov. Okay. I got really nervous there. I was like, he's going to say me. And like, <laughs> I've erased this memory from my... <laughs> I, was about, I was about to crush his... <laughs> his impression of that, the significance of that one. He's like, Andrew, Andrew's good, but I mean... You know. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Coming fresh from a, a 19-1 defeat the other night. <laughs> Still raw. Um, yeah, I would I would add on and like, I think we've, we've maybe talked around this issue, this issue in the past, but I do think that negativity is a massive issue, especially yeah. for the forum right now. And like, I am, I have been critical of outputs of the project uh, hopefully constructively in the past on the yeah, podcast that's and exact, otherwise. that's exactly the thing right there there's i and i'm not saying that this book is perfect i like i made uh internally like a eight or nine points on like hey these are things that you need to look at and change because uh they're not good enough uh for yeah. this book so i'm not i'm not a, a supporter for just the sake of it yeah uh, I have I am but but uh it's a lot of it has to do exactly what you say with how you lay it out and and being constructive in it. Uh and we've thankfully, you know, there's been a lot of uh constructive uh feedback. Uh but but yeah, the negativity is a big deal and there's there's two parts to to the negativity ne- negativity. One part of it and this is just kind of a thing that the project as a whole has to deal with. And this is kind of generally difficult. One thing is because we are a transparent uh, project and organization, we have staff that actually uh, talk to regular players. And one thing is negativity generates attention. And so someone makes a constructive positive post you know it'll get some likes maybe a thank you or two uh someone makes a really negative post or thread and there's going to be a ton of attention thrown to that 
Um, so it's, and I can see why, because you don't want to, even if you, your harshest critics come out and say, this game sucks, the project sucks, it all sucks, and you actually engage with that, that, that is a show of good faith. But at the same time, that just brings so much attention to the negativity, which makes it spread even more. Mm. I mean, it's such a, a multifaceted problem, I feel, because I think that the part of it is that a lot of it's negativity, negativity for negativity's sake. Uh, there's a lot of people with very rose-tinted glasses of what the game was before, and they tend to forget that like army books were released and then never fucking looked at again. Yeah. Uh, and that was your book, and you were lucky if you got an errata, and that was it. Um, yep. and, and I think a lot of people have, have forgotten that. Um, but yeah, I think you're definitely right about that. And there, there's also there's a lot of things where you know you have you have some people who's like, oh, you're gonna ruin yet another book. I'm gonna stop playing. I'm gonna go back to Warhammer Fantasy. And it's like, you know, getting a a new army book update that didn't quite fit you and and your specific army uh, style or play style is very minor compared to you know legacy stuff very minor especially considering that games workshop killed the game outright um it's uh yeah but then there's another facet to it which is that if you look at games workshop and warhammer uh, they have something that the ninth age project kind of doesn't which is a sense of authority that players respect so with the Ninth Age, you have a staff member who goes in and to a thread and says, hey, here's how we're doing it. And because he's engaging with it and you get a very, you know, the, the project is volunteer based. Then I think that people feel that, hey, who are these people to decide what's good for the game? Who who are you to to decide this or that? Whereas with Games Workshop, it's like, okay, well, Here's a paid writer and game designer. Obviously, he knows what's best. Mm. And so people don't come down hard on Games Workshop because that have they have that they have the sense of authority. They write the cool books. They have their models in store shelves. We don't have models in store shelves. We must be amateurs. Yeah. There's definitely an element of psychology and people that if something is free, you don't value it the same, even if it is better than something that you, you know, you actually need to pay for. So I think there is definitely some truth to that. I mean, another, I mean, I, there's loads you can talk about here. Um, another aspect in support of uh, that kind of position is that I think there's a lot of people who are very active on the forum who have no fucking idea how the game works. And that sounds like a really snobby and arsehole thing to say, but it's true. And no one, no staff member can say that. Like, a staff member can't come on and say, look, you've played two games with this book. You don't know what you're talking about. Give it a chance. Uh, but it is true. And there's a lot of very vocal people who just lack that kind of experience with the game. And unless you're playing very regularly, I don't feel that... And this isn't, uh, you know, an, an accessibility thing or trying to exclude people, but, like, just have a think about what you're saying. Like, if you've only played three games you know, over the past six months, then the chances are you're probably not the best person to be providing a point by point, you know, how you're going to change this book. However, I think what the big issue is with the project as an internally is that I think there is still a huge lack of communication 
between the project and the wider player base. I think there's still too few people involved at certain key levels and that there's certain individuals who are have way too many fingers and way too many pies and have too much influence on each of those pies. And I think that there's also a growing tendency, more so in ID and what I've seen of Vermiswarm than, than Dread Elves, of changes for changes sake. And I think the changes for changes sake thing is probably the most important because I think that's what's starting to annoy people. And it's it's kind of that balance that you're never going to get 100% right because you want to make the game unique and you want to make it different from uh, Warhammer Fantasy that came before. And can it, you, it, ha- you, it has to. Yeah. I, in principle, I sort of agree. Can you give uh, an example of uh, a change for the sake of change that you see it? Right. So, for example... Um, We'll stick with Vermin Swarm. Yeah. So they've they've gone for this Roman theme. Yeah. And it's it's a pretty in of itself the Roman theme is a pretty big departure of what came before. And the Roman theming of the army book is very strong, from yep. things like Testudo to Eagle Standard. Um, to the extent where if you're a long-term Vermin Swarm player, I could understand where you're coming at it thinking, this isn't the army that I play anymore. And that's not a, that's not a minor tweak or, you know, that unit doesn't do exactly what it does before. That's a feel of the army has changed. And I, I do I totally understand that it's a, it's a really hard balance in that because they are trying to make something unique and stand alone. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do also understand where people are getting frustrated because they feel that there's just changes for changes sake. Mm-hmm. And that those are actually having quite a big impact on how people play the books. Okay. Yeah, so with that one, I, I can speak a little bit to that one with background and everything. I'm going to kind of try to just yeah, yeah. stick to the things that have been published. But yeah, I mean, I think the thing that a lot of people miss is that the Vermin Swarm, they aren't supposed to be the Roman Empire. This is a kind of post-Roman Empire um, army. So you know how you have, in real life, you have the Holy Roman Empire. It's like, yeah, no, we're totally the Roman Empire. Totally. But they they weren't really. And uh, similar to this, the Vermin Swarm kind of, you know, they, they, they came in uh, into Avras. Uh, they took over. And it's like, hey, this great Roman Empire fell. And like, hey, this is ours now. And what the Vermin Swarm is doing is that they're emulating. You can say they're, they're cosplaying as that Avrasi uh, Empire. So the Avrasi Empire, that's the actual Roman uh, army. But it doesn't exist anymore. And the Vermin have come in. It's, it's the barbarians overtaking Rome and pretending to be them. And this was in some ways present in like Warhammer. I mean, you have you have certain uh, units like the Storm Vermin, who in in a lot of editions definitely had some Roman aesthetics to them. You look at the helmets in particular. Uh, Warlord Queek was also one of those characters who like that's a very kind of Roman inspired armor. So the elements have been there, even in Legacy, but now it's it's definitely been kind of pushed front and center yeah and even for things like sticking kind of just from a a background perspective having it 
you know, that Roman mockery of a Roman Empire, which is, you know, that's fine as a concept. But again, where people are complaining is that you don't need to make it so front and center. Uh, you, you know, it doesn't have to be Roman and that this is still a fantasy game. And yeah. if they wanted to play historicals, they could go and play historicals. Yeah, I think I think the concept is fine. I don't think that's the major problem. I think it's it's just too on the nose. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like the 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 world map issue that people have. It's like, mm. well, it's almost identical to GWs, and it's still very much based on real world. Yep. And I think for some people, it lacks that degree of escapism that they would like to see in a fantasy setting. That things are just too rooted. In, in the historical and not in the in, not in the fantasy. I think the idea of the vermin basically taking what is left over of another empire and parading around like it is theirs, I think that's completely fine. But I think if you wanted to use that, I think even even things like some of the names, I just think the fact that it's so Roman. Mm. Like what you were saying before about like um, eighth edition and how there were there were elements or previous editions of Warhammer and uh, where there were elements of that. GW didn't use did they use historical naming or did they have their own names? But then the they were evoking that idea through art and other elements of the game. Right. So yeah. you, you you kind of you kind of hit the, the same idea of what you're trying to do, but it's just how you're doing it. I think is maybe what is annoying some people. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, that is definitely a point that some people have raised. And and that's a concern that is definitely valid, but it's a matter of kind of taste. Like, hey, I like the real world uh, inspiration for this game, or I don't really like the real world inspiration for this game as much. Uh, Some people like having it on this level, and some people like to see it toned down. Uh, There's no real right or wrong here. It's, yeah, it's I, I, I get the I get the idea because when you're when you're taking from real world examples, it's easier to evoke the kind of themes that you're trying to with those ideas. Um, yeah. And for a game that is done by volunteers, where you're still building up lore and artwork, it's a it's it's a and, and in some ways it's a good idea because it it kind of cuts to what you're trying to evoke more quickly. You know, you don't have years and years of material to rely on. You can just say eagle standard and you yep. think, oh, I know exactly where you're going with that. Okay. Yeah, um, I think uh, th- there is. So so, have you had this problem with any other uh, book aside from Vermin's Worm so far? I mean, not in terms of, I think Vermin's Worm has been the first book, and Paul can jump in on this, where the the kind of background perspective has been so blatant in yep. terms of game mechanics as well so you know how the ego standard works for vermin swarm you know the fact that the the black fur have a testudo you know formation mm. you know there's a dictator and you know a senator and things like that that is very on the nose mm. um obviously the kind of um iranian uh abyssinian flavor of the infernal dwarves was was still there in the book but i don't think it was anywhere near as prominent i think for infernal dwarves the problem was that there was again a lot of changes for changes sake and there was just way too much complexity and everything had a special rule and those are both criticisms that can also be transferred to the vermin swarm and this is this again this is me coming from an initial perspective i haven't played against the book yet or anything like that so you know this is very just gut 
going forward. Yeah. But I, think I will was... definitely agree with you on the on on some of the complexity for the Vermin Swarm book. Uh, a lot of the criticisms that I had was precisely that there's a there are a lot of special rules and a lot of like there's a lot of things to keep track of just going through the book and a lot of those things are going to have to be streamlined because it's um yeah i i found myself having to kind of read through the book and it's like oh wait what did that thing do again <laughs> and it's like okay well it's this dice here and that many hits but not mm. if i do okay yeah it gets complicated so i'll, yeah. I'll agree with you there yeah it's some kind of similar to like the mechanics and also the background i i read um someone made a good point about um these formations that the uh the black fur yeah. can can make and that you, you're obviously leaning into this idea that they are this weird parody of a of a roman-esque mm-hmm. empire but you're basically giving them a rule that you would expect that Roman Empire to have. Like there seems to be this disconnect between the flavor and the background and what they should actually be physically able to do. So the idea that this swarm army can replicate what would be otherwise a very complicated and well-disciplined formation in the battlefield to give mm-hmm. them a bonus seems at odds with the idea that it's just this massive bodies that are almost impossible to deal with. So yeah. I thought that was an interesting point. Um, yeah, yeah. That I have nothing to say about that one really because I had no inputs. Uh, it's more mechanical. When it comes it's not really to, a background issue. Those, yeah, those formations. I, I can definitely see that being the case. Um, one point that I made um, in in regards to this uh, this concern is that it, it it's not the formation bonuses. It doesn't mean that these black furs are so awesome and so well disciplined and they can pull off things that elves cannot because you'd expect, you know, elves to have some kick-ass formations as well. Because mm. um, an elf soldier can fight in the same army for, you know, hundreds of years and a rat dies after a couple of years. Um, but but that that's, it's not so... And I, I think that's a lot, a lot of people view it that way. But it's more so the fact that you know, if you look at real life examples, uh, it, Romans had these, you know, mm-hmm. infamous formations and battle tactics, and they were hugely successful. And it wasn't the case that, you know, the Carthaginians or the Greek or whoever that they were unable to to pull off these formations. But it's that you know their militaries didn't incorporate them, they didn't drill for these specific ones, and mm-hmm. that's that's why they're effective. So. Um, it's it, it's it's a faction thing. It's not a unit thing in in that sense. But you know, obviously, you can say, hey, well, if this unit can have special formations, why can't all other elite units have special formations? And you open up a bit of a Pandora's box there. Yeah, for sure. But uh, so so we'll see what happens with it. I can see some of these concerns being definitely legitimate, but yeah. at, at the end of the day, um, it's about making good, flavorful rules that also impact uh, gameplay in a, in a positive manner. We'll see what yeah. happens with it. I think I, th- I would personally would rather them bring out a book that was over the top than one that would be too bland. 
um, because it's always easier to scale back. And I know that that has the potential to annoy people because they might really like something upon release that is deemed to be too good or needs to be toned down. And so it, it changes beyond the point where they recognize it as what it was originally. But just based on how books have been released in the past, I think compared to like, we've, we've said this before, like the Warrior book when it came out was way too bland. Mm-hmm. And it, it took them a year to get it from initial release to gold. And they did have to go back and add things. And I think it was harder for them to do that than just to tweak some of the other rules. So I I don't I don't uh, fault them for trying to make things that are really interesting. And if it doesn't work, then that's okay. But I guess um am I right in thinking that with the previous books that have been released, like the Dread Elves and the ID, were they released as alphas or were they released released as betas? Uh, I want to say beta, but I can't. Actually, confirm that off the top of my head. It'll be interesting to see then when they release KOE and and Saurians, um, if they decide to keep to that new model of we're going to go for alpha, we want more feedback more quickly, or are they going to decide in in hindsight keeping it uh, in playtesting for longer or an internal playtest for longer would be better in the long run? so yeah, be interesting to see how they go forward with it after the the vermin swarm. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like away from the the original point as well that it's the reception and I think you know the fact that whether it's an alpha or beta, like you can have genuine criticisms of it, but you've you've got to present it in a you know constructive manner because I think you know no matter how friendly a project is nobody wants to be logging into a form in their free time on a project that they're spending more free time on to you know be told that they're a you know a fucking idiot because they didn't do <laughs> this or yeah because yeah, they're not reading and, this like you've got to you've got to do it in a way that you know you have a conversation because with the best intention of the world you know if i'm logging in every day to get you know see that folk are just slagging it constantly then yeah that is going to numb you to important things yeah. and uh well, I think both sides have a responsibility in that. Yeah, and he, here, here's maybe maybe a final uh, pinch of salt uh, <laughs> to the segment. Is that I think I think you're exactly right, and you need to look at these things in the right way because I think a lot of people who complain that the the strongest or the harshest are people who are very focused on their own army or their own list. And they view this update as, what is this update doing to my list? That's how they look at the book. And that is not the right way to look at it. You you need to take a step back and you need to look at it from, does this book, the updates in the book, the rules and the models, that are changed or have been added to this book, do they fit the concept of this army? Does it make it fun and engaging to play? If yes, then it's great. If that means that you have to tweak your army to fit into that, that can be personally a bit tough, especially if you have been one of those players who, you know, they've been playing uh, Plague Brotherhood and like only Plague Brotherhood in core and now they, that unit has been moved to special, and you can't play that exact build anymore, 
that can be a bit tough for you personally but but that is a personal um issue to take with the book and i think you need to step away from that and and look at it from a holistic perspective i think people can certainly be too precious um and i think you i mean and then this is another thing if you look back at previous editions of uh, fantasy that happened quite regularly and you know ghouls are another example of that ghouls were always special and then i think in eighth edition they go moved to core it might be in seventh edition so that you know those kind of changes aren't without precedence yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you're even right in, it's, it's about yeah. the overall product even with skaven like in sixth edition for sure i'm, I'm pretty sure plague monks were special yeah I, the, the only kind of angle in which i could see where there's a valid point in there is about model invalidation which is you know something that's come up is the, with the vermin swan book and, and the oh ID man book. don't get me started <laughs> on that uh, ruinous dictator uh face <laughs> size I, for the, I mean that's maybe another can of worms for another time <laughs> uh but i can understand that frustration but I think it's a, yes. a plus minus and it's the scale as well. Like I would not be happy if I had to rebase a hundred skeletons. No, um, sure. If I have to rebase one thing for, you know, the mm-hmm. betterment of the book moving forward and That's it's not exactly, going to change yeah. again, then That's exactly the, I can the attitude that. you need to have, you know, I have a vermin demon who's on a um, 75 times 50 base as I was in the old book. I'm going to have to rebase it. I, I'm still probably the most vocal supporter for having it changed to a normal base because it's for the to the betterment of the army and the betterment of the game. And and no amount of people who have to go through the admitted trouble of rebasing is going to change my opinion that it's for, for the good of the game. Because it's, it's, it's not just about the existing players and their existing collections. It's also about making a solid game that brings in new people and for those new people uh having an odd weird base is is you don't want that in your game that's bad design yeah i I, as much as it pains me i kind of agree with that but you know if those are the kind of changes and they are rare as the project and the the army book team you have to be a hundred percent sure yeah, you definitely have to take that in, into consideration because you don't want to make these changes, like you said, for for the sake of change. Yeah. Um, like if someone took something that was perfectly fine, um, like say, I don't know. Yeah, let's take the Hulks, for example. Uh, the Now the Murmillo Brutes that are on 50-50 basis and said, no, they're all going to be 40-40 now. And then that means a whole lot of rebasing for a whole lot of models for very little gain. It would be completely unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we'll need to get you back on when we discuss Vermin's Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hey, you know, um, good talk is a good talk. Let the salt yeah. flow. Yeah, yeah. I've got no doubt people will pick up on that as well. But it, I mean, I think it's important to have different perspectives as well. And uh, there are certain times where it does feel a little bit like an echo chamber, one way or the other. So I hope that was interesting for folk. Um, I hope that uh, Homebrew's got a sort of system, so that we can. One last thing I would just like to say for for people who wonder um, regarding project transparency and all this, all the opinions and all the discussions that go on 
uh, on the public forums also go on internally. Like if you have an opinion, that opinion is likely shared by someone internally on staff. So all, all the discussions you have in public also go on on the inside of the project. And we know because we can see them all <laughs> and they are <laughs> mind numbing. <laughs> Right, cool. Well, that's enough saltiness for one night. Um, so let's head on over to the main topic of the show. Magic Radio. So, Hombre, the reason we have you on tonight is not to talk about Everswam, but to talk about 3D printing. So do you want to give us a little bit of background of what your interests is in this and what kind of angle you're coming at it from? Absolutely. Yeah, so sometimes when people are discussing things like model prices especially in, in regards to games workshop and some of the other things or how bad the spanish post is <laughs> what the uh what the brexit is going to do for imports and all these things i say knock knock hello would you like to talk about our lord and savior 3d printing <laughs> Uh, 3D printing is not exactly a novel concept, but it's really come into the uh, kind of consumer market for the last 10 years or so. And for a hobby, basically it means you get a digital model and then you you print it. So you make your own miniatures. It's kind of like if you were to cast your own models, but a lot better and a lot easier. And it, it's... Most people... Whether they fall, you know, on the I'm all the way into 3D printing or I'm skeptical about it, most people kind of realize that this this is the way of the future. We don't need to have things like production facilities, uh, shipment, uh, this or that, store, supply, all these things. You can just go straight from the creator of the model to the end consumer and printing it out. It It solves so many uh, problems that people have and it has so many uh, pros that th there's only one way it's going to go and that's digital mm. so for me as uh, as someone who advocates for 3d printer and who has a, a 3d printer there are a lot of things that make me even make the bold statements that it will take a lot for me to ever buy a physical model ever again. Oh, really? Wow, okay. Yeah. I mean, there are certain, you know, there are certain uh, guys out there who make beautiful uh, physical models, and I might have to get those. But um, no, digital is, it, it offers so much freedom. So some people will look at 3D printing as a, simply a cost-saving thing. I buy a 3D printer for, you know, let's just say 300 uh currency and then they think okay i get that i get some resin then i need to print this amount of models until i can actually start saving money i think that's the uh, it's the wrong way of looking at it because while that is the case that 3d printing generally is a lot um cheaper it's it's not just something you do for for uh saving money it's also something that you do for the hobby uh, so 3D printing offers a lot of freedom. It's, it's both the kind of freedom to 
uh, for trial and error, for example. So you might know that if you go to, let's say, a Games Workshop store right now, and you buy a character for your army, that one character, like infantry model, is going to set you back, you know, 15 to 20 pounds, yeah. right? Okay. So what happens if you make a mistake with that model? You accidentally snap an arm or you paint it wrong. You have too much, you know, too much spray on it. That sucks for you. Uh, <laughs> but with 3D printing, something goes wrong. Okay, I'll just print another one and do it right. So it offers a lot of freedom that way. But also it's just the customization. Think this model is too big, too small? Just rescale it. Um, if you have a right-handed model and you would like it to be left-handed, three clicks and it's mirrored now. Um, if you are so inclined to go into 3D modeling, like, you know, if, if you can... If you know or want to learn some basic uh, 3D modeling in Blender, you can make a lot of neat little uh, edits and touches to your models. You know, swap a head out, swap a weapon out, um, cut the legs off, put something else in. All the things that you have probably dabbled in with physical uh, modeling, but a lot easier. Um, a lot more formidable in terms of what you can do. And if you do mess up, you all always have that control C button that you don't have in real life. So, I mean, th there's loads that we can talk about here. Um, I will be 100% upfront that the, I can kind of see 3D printing catching on now. And we've got friends like Guillermo who is, I think he's got these 3D printer running 24 seven, uh, just churning <laughs> stuff out. Um, and it is it, it looks impressive now where i think maybe even last year year before there was a lot of 3d printed stuff that was you know coming about that looked pretty average but i think there's been a, a massive jump in quality over the last kind of 12 months which you can start to see now but from from my perspective coming into this this is actually very intimidating mm -hmm. uh, because yeah. you know the idea of you know, loading up STL files and, and screwing around with them um, is not particularly appealing. This is to someone that struggles to use Audacity for audio editing this podcast. Um, so th there's, is there a barrier there? And how do we get around that? Because it does increasingly seem like this is going to be the future. Yes. So uh, I, I think you're completely right in your assessment uh, to start with. If you look back a few years ago, 3D printing for miniatures was a thing, but the market was entirely and still is entirely dominated by RPG players. Uh, these are the guys who really s latched on to 3D printing, saw the benefits of it. Um, and I, I'm guessing it, it's because of the variety, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. because with RPG games... You can have games set in, you know, so many parts of the world, so many different fantasy elements. Uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is huge. So, 3D printing for that audience, it just opens a lot of opportunity for them. Wargaming hasn't really caught on to 3D printing uh, yet, and we are also not catered to. So if you go to, I mean, the, the most popular way of, of accessing 3D models is through Patreon. 
So you go on your, you know, Titan Forge, Lost Kingdom, Lubart. Uh, you go on their Patreon, you pay a set fee every month, and you get a bunch of STLs. That model is mainly catered to RPG players because that's the biggest target audience. Those are the people who will pay you. So you make models catered to them, much more so than wargamers. But mm. wargamers, it's you know, we're getting there. As you said, it's becoming more and more common. There are still some barriers to overcome. Uh, like I said, it, it's not just something that you get to save money. It's it's a bit of a hobby within a hobby, or rather, it can be. Um, the barriers of entry are getting smaller and smaller. So like you said, a, a couple years ago, you would have seen some miniatures and thinking, you know, they look all right, but nothing too fancy. But there's been, when it comes to resin printing, there's been a leap in generations uh, recently, you know, uh, in 2020, where the screens got better, uh, print time goes slower, detail quality goes up, mm -hmm. um, which really makes a, a difference when you're talking like, you know, 28 millimeter miniatures, yeah. that extra detail that starts to really show when you're going down that kind of scale. Um, I had a thing where I, I actually purchased a physical model, uh, Titan Forge in this case, and then I, I printed out the same model digitally and just to see how close can you get to the physical product. And when, you know, painted and everything, you real you need a real keen eye to be able to tell the difference mm. between a physical purchased miniature and a uh, and a printed one. Paul, what's your kind of yeah? You're kind of the same as me. You've not really yeah. taken the leap yet. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's partly not having that technical expertise and and knowing that I'm going to have to buy something and teach <laughs> myself how to use it. Yeah, and so. Comparing that to just, oh, I could just go down the road and buy a box. Mm -hmm. But I think it also speaks to what appeals to you as a hobbyist. And yeah, I would agree with you, like, especially now, I'm seeing more and more Patreon projects where I'm looking at the designs and I'm thinking, man, they're really good. Like, they're, they, they, look, they look better. Miniatures? Yeah, yeah, Lost yeah. Kingdom are yeah. outstanding. Like, they look really, really nice. And beyond that, my my concern is really just like Andrew, it's it's having confidence in the quality yeah. is going to be good enough. And because I don't have one, and although we know Guillermo, um with you know the the last 18 months, it's quite hard to really go around to someone's house and be like, can I see the kind of quality that <laughs> yep. you're getting on these models? And then I feel like if I could actually see it getting done firsthand mm. and being able to like validate like, oh, actually the standard is, is very good. Um, I would probably feel a lot more confident in thinking about getting a 3D printer. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, my, the next army project that I'm looking to, to do is uh, a Sylvan Elf army, I think. Mm. And one of the biggest things that's putting me off is models. Because I don't like a lot of the GW ones. Yeah. So 3D printing would probably be the ideal solution for opening up choice for something like that. Yeah. 
you know, current virus situation, if we, if we forget about that for a second, um, there, there are, there's one thing that I think is, it's happening more and more, and I think it's becoming, it's just going to get increasingly common where game stores start getting their own printers and starting opening up printing services. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the the big uh, kind of, uh, you know, that's going to take a lot of people over the barrier because they don't need to get the machine themselves. They don't need yeah. to do all the technical things themselves. They can still go to the same game store they've always gone to and say, hey, here's my USB or whatever. I have some STLs on there. Can you print them for me? And they say, yes, money, please. You give them money. <laughs> and then uh, next day you have your models. And and I think for a large majority of players that are a bit either, you know, either if they're intimidated by the all the technical aspects or if they're just not going to print enough for the investment to be worth it. Mm. Uh, for that, them, that's going to be the the optimal solution, and I can really see game stores uh, adapting to this. Um, but when it comes to printing yourself and the barriers that are there, concretely, um, I would say a 3D printer is less hassle than your normal printer. Though that doesn't say a lot because normal printers. <laughs> suck. I was just about to say. <laughs> but if you if you have a normal printer and you can kind of manage that, you can definitely manage a 3D printer. They're not quite plug and play yet, but they're they're getting better uh, by the year. So the most straightforward thing is you know you have your software that's a slicing software. You put the STL uh, in there, your digital file. Uh, then you have to generate support or you know. A very common now is that you get actually pre-supported miniatures. And then it's just, you know, you just load them onto the USB, you stick them in your printer, uh, and, and you just print it. It's very close to plug and play. Um, a lot of the technical aspects and the barriers there, that comes with that freedom I was talking about earlier. If you want to have the freedom to yeah, let's say mirror your miniatures or try to edit the sculpts to swap out parts. Those are things that will require some learning. Mm. But th those are not mandatory in any way, but uh, they they open up a lot of possibilities. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, it, it's it's learning learning how to model things has been a big part of my ninth age. Uh, hobby for the last six months or so i haven't i haven't been doing a lot of painting and mainly because there are no we, we don't play games i haven't played game in in over a year um so and I, i'm the kind of person who if i'm gonna make miniatures i'm gonna paint them it's because i want to use them on the battlefield uh, that's my main mo motivation for for painting and uh so i, I i've just been doing a lot of digital um sculpting and and things like that so it's been it's been fun for me but it's it's not going to be fun for everyone i mean it's a ninth age or wargaming in general it's a very varied hobby there's assembling painting uh basing there's so many aspects to it and mm. not every player is into every aspect of that hobby yeah i guess as, as well i'd imagine for people that do get into 3d printing as you say, it's a hobby within a hobby. So that they're likely to start out just 
buying STL files that they like and printing them as is, and then probably yep. f- the further they get into it, they're probably going to be like, yeah, I'm going to try editing this and maybe trying to customize it. Um, yep. Just the same way that, you know, with physical miniatures, someone would probably start just buying models yep. and using them as is, and then after a while, customizing them with kit bashing or green mm-hmm. stuffing or or anything like that. So, um yeah, I can definitely see that aspect of it, it being its own kind of hobby to degree. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, it, it might be worth kind of just reiterating that kind of process. So say, for example, someone's listening to this and they're like, right, Hombre's convinced me, I'm going to try this. How do you actually go about doing this? Like how? So say you 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 know you go on a Patreon something like Lost Kingdoms, you mm. see their gorgeous lizard man, you're like, that's what I want. Yeah. So how do you actually then make that transition to, you know, 3D print your armies? How how would you go about doing that? Yeah. So what I think that the biggest hurdle for people is just deciding on a purchase. So when you're talking about uh, buying a 3D printer, you know, the budget ones that are, you know, $500 or less in that kind of range, they are really good. They are very consumer friendly. Uh, but that is still a significant purchase. I mean, obviously, you know, you've spent more than a thousand dollars on your hobby, right? I mean, oh God! I mean, <laughs> if my so fiance talk- to this, absolutely not. But yeah. <laughs> so when you're talking in the grand scheme of things, uh, three or four hundred on a machine isn't that much. But like when when you when you're talking about making that purchase, it's a big commitment financially. And you need to make sure that you are getting a machine that not only delivers the quality that you're expecting, but also something that you know is unlikely to break. And that if something minor goes wrong with it, that there is solutions to it. Mm. Uh, That there is perhaps... um, good documentation or more importantly a community of users that can help you troubleshoot and fix uh, whatever minor issues uh, you might encounter so i think that's that's the biggest thing but once once you have a printer and you got some resin and you got your models once you're set up it's it's uh, really easy just to to get started because like i said you probably have a pre uh, supported model you put that on a usb uh, you put the usb into the printer and you know you pour resin into the little resin tub and then you let the printer do its thing and the most exciting thing for me was when i made my first print and just kind of saw the first print kind of come out when it was done uh, looking at it and you know evaluating those results at first, I was like, this looks very bad uh, <laughs> because I didn't realize that there's a lot of still like liquid resin that's sticking to the model that's obscuring like all the details. Mm. But once you get that washed off, then you can actually see, oh, actually, this turned out really good. And then once I based it, uh, the details really started to uh, to show. Mm. So when you're buying a printer, do you mentioned Blender as yeah. as software. Is that yeah. something that you would purchase separately? And are there different uh, blend, blend, um, alternatives? Uh, so 
all software that you need for uh, 3D printing uh, is free of charge. Okay. Uh, so one common thing would be things like uh, Cheetubox is a common uh, slicer. They call this kind of software. And what a slicer does is basically takes the model, the STL that you have, and it translated uh, tra translates that printing process into a, a language that your printer understands. So you have a, an STL file, printer, or sorry, the slicer makes a, let's say a Cheetubox file that then the printer needs. Uh, when we're talking about Blender, Blender is a 3D uh, modeling software. Uh, it's also free. So I, I, if you want to just dabble in 3D modeling, like, hey, I want to make a cube and and edit it slightly. You know, go ahead. Go <laughs> that's like go, in a go, level. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's what I did. First thing. It's like, okay, here's a cube. Can I pull this? Yes. Okay. I can. I can make a long cube now. Excellent. <laughs> God, we're going backwards. This is like this is like the opposite <laughs> direction of tuna cans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the cube army. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so it's Blender uh, is not something you need. That's only if you want to dabble with 3D modeling and start actually making uh, significant edits to okay. models. So slicers, uh, what they will do, they will make some basic edits. So for instance, like scale, they can scale your model up and down. Right. So they can mirror, uh, they can change the rotation, you know, very basic uh, transformations. Blender, that's when you go in and actually start modeling and saying, hey, this arm is holding a sword. I want it to hold this other uh, spear that I got separately from this other pack. And then you try to, you know, sculpt the sword away and put the spear in instead. These sorts of things. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. So how did the, how did the slicing softwares compare? Are they fairly interchangeable or are some better than others? Um. They are fairly interchangeable. Um, there are things like, you know, user interface differences, maybe some performance uh, differences, but but they're all uh, fairly interchangeable. And when you get a printer, it'll be very, you know, apparent that says, mm. like, hey, this is the slicer you should get. Okay. That's and cool. they're all they're all pretty straightforward to use. Uh, you know, the, the basic functionality, like importing your model. Uh, generating supports if you need to, uh, exporting mm -hmm. it into a, a format that's right for your printer. Uh, that's all very easy to set up and run on a day-to-day -day basis. So kind of like what we were saying before about how there's been this big leap in technology that's really yeah. made home 3D printing so viable. If that is the kind of trajectory that this technology is taking, how... Like, what could we expect the continued increase in quality to be like in the next few years? Like, if yeah. I was to buy a printer, like, just now, mm -hmm. am I going to be thinking in six months, oh, shit, like, the printers now are so much better. Like, why did I buy one now? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. And, of course, um, we're not really sure what the future is going to hold, but based on the what changed the previous generation leap, we can make some kind of predictions. So mainly what improved in the last generation, mainly was the screen. Uh, what the screens uh, do better now is that 
without you know going into too many technical details, the, the screens of this generation can let more UV light uh, through in a shorter amount of time to cure a resin layer. Okay. This translates into uh, shorter curing times, which just means faster prints, mm -hmm. uh, which is good for everyone because everyone hates waiting. Okay. Uh, the other thing is, of course, like you mentioned, quality. So right now, uh, if you want the most bang for your buck, only when it comes to quality of detail, uh, my pick would be the Frozen Sonic Mini 4K printer, uh, which is what I have. Because that is a small printer with a small screen, but it's a small 4K screen. And what that means is more pixels per area, which translates into higher details. So okay. if you, if you want to get a good sense of this, you know, imagine, you know, if you do any basic Photoshopping, you'll know that the more pixels you can cram into a, a, a screen, the higher resolution you get. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly the same uh, with prints. I think that right now we are at a point where, yeah, like I said, 28 millimeter models, uh, you can get them to look uh, just as good as physical uh, miniatures. Mm -hmm. At least, you know, unless you take them very up close and look at them, you might be able to differentiate between them. So, and and like I said, the main market for 3D printing is not 28 millimeter wargaming. It is like, you know, 30, 40 millimeter yeah. RPG. Yeah. And those kinds of guys, for, for them, the kind of quality, um, the quality is kind of saturated. So what they are going to care more about is build volume. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be quality of life features and printing time. So I think we can expect in the future, we can expect to see improvements definitely in, in reliability, quality of life, uh, just making those barriers that you talked about easier to overcome. Yeah. I mean, as someone that has bought D&D um, minis, um, it's something I definitely notice that typically, like they're very good value for money. They often come primed. Um, there's a high degree of um, variability or choice, even within certain categories of, of model, which is really nice. But the actual quality of the model is nowhere near as good as a GW Mini. Yeah. Um, and you can you can definitely see, if you look at uh, Games Workshop, this was actually, for me, this was a huge thing to read. Uh, you've seen the latest uh, Bellacore model from Games mm -hmm. Workshop, yeah? Yeah. Uh, it's a great, great miniature. Looks fantastic. Uh, a lot of kind of technical, complicated details on that sort of miniature. And when they presented this miniature, they said that, and, and it, it kind of, it wasn't surprising, but kind of, that they actually said it. And they said that this kind of model with this kind of quality and this kind of detail can only be done in plastic, cannot be done with resin or metal. To me, that is a, a kind of direct signal that like, hey, you know, <laughs> you can't 3D print something like this. Come buy yeah. our miniatures. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and they're, they're sort of right, of course, because like that model has some very intricate parts that on like thin uh, 
parts that mm. are mm, probably more likely to break in resin. But you know, if you if you drop your Bellacore model, even if plastic, it's still gonna break. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But but uh, yeah. So and Games Workshop, what they're going for? I mean, that Games Workshop is very well aware of 3D printing. But what they're doing is saying, hey, we know you can 3D print, and that's fine because we are gonna make the best looking models out there, and you're still gonna buy them because they're gonna be the best. And that's their business strategy. Yeah, I guess um, for for people in our situation, certainly within a ninth age context, the big advantage that we've got is the ability that we can mix and match. So yep. we could just 3D print, you know, 300 wrap models that we need for our core list and just decide, yeah, I'm going to go to somewhere like Creature Caster or GW and I'm just going to pick up my big model, my big yes. demon yeah. or whatever you want from them. You'll have, stayed, you'll have still saved a lot of money. Yeah. And I think that's a lot what a lot of people are gonna do. That they're gonna for for wargaming is perfect because you can take your you know your your rank and file sixty block zombies and say okay you know I'm gonna 3D print these um, because it doesn't matter so much that there are the most awesome and perfect models out there they're mm-hmm. just core. But for my you know for my characters for my big set pieces I'm just gonna shoot for quality. Mm-hmm. So in your experience um, with your printer that you have, if you wanted to print, say, even 20 rank and file models yeah. to a good standard, not necessarily to the highest standard you could print them, but just to a very mm. good standard that you would be happy with, how long typically does that process take? Okay. Yeah, so um, like I said, the good thing about, 3D printing right now, especially with the right kind of printer, is yeah, you can definitely get them to a quality that no one will be able to tell that they're printed unless they look up way close. Um, so quality is not at all a problem uh, from the get-go, really. Um, the other real good thing about 3D printing is that it doesn't matter if you're printing one model or 10 models. It takes exactly the same amount of time. Mm. And the reason for that is that... Um, because you 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 cure layers, and the amount of layers horizontal or yeah, the amount of horizontal layers that you print that's what matters. Doesn't matter how broad it is, so to speak. So if you print one zombie or ten zombies, it's gonna take the exact amount, of, exact the same amount of time. And for a uh, 28 millimeter, millimeter miniatures in like good quality, uh, you're looking at maybe two to three hours. Okay. And this so, is, you know, without spears or banners, you know, that yeah. go high up because that will uh, drastically uh, drastically increase the time compared to the, the amount of material you actually get out of it. Right. Okay. So how many can you print at one, at one time? So, yeah. So that's when kind of the, the build volume comes into question. Uh, some people, they will want, want to print like 30 or 40 in a go. Uh, for the printer that I have, the uh, Frozen Sonic Mini 4K that I recommended for its quality, um, like 10 infantrymen tops. So there's a big difference uh, in printers when it comes to build volume. And generally, you're talking smaller build volume, higher quality, or larger build volume, lower quality. Okay. And- 
And how much is that costing you roughly in terms of your your resin? So say you've invested, you've bought your you know your mini 4K printer or whatever. Um, if you were printing out you know 20 rank and file, roughly how much is that costing you once you're up and running? Yeah. Uh, so the software will actually tell you uh, exactly. So what you do is you can you can enter. Uh, in your slicer software, you can enter the kind of resin you have and how much uh, you pay for it per like uh, gram or really? milliliter. Okay. Wow. And then it says, hey, I'm using up this much material. So given the value that you've entered, um, here's exactly how much that's going to cost you. So for instance, if I was to print uh, two infantry uh, miniatures, that will set me back roughly 0.3 euros. So that's right. not like, I mean, looking at some of the, like the new like GW box sets, yep. um, it works out that like for, because like, it tends to be a lot of the time, like especially with the new boxes, you can only buy like maybe 10 max models. Yeah. It's, it's about three pounds per model. Yep. So, so basically yeah, 100 a times. 30 to 1. Yeah, that's insane. So, so yeah, the, the, I mean, the price difference is there, and especially uh, if you're talking models that you could use for characters. Yeah, it, it's uh, so the, the the financial aspect, the cost saving of it, it's definitely there. Now, obviously, when you're 3D printing, especially in the beginning, you have to count on, uh, you know, getting some failures. You might support things wrong, or you might enter in the wrong print settings. Uh, I haven't had that many errors, actually. Um, not many at all. But, you know, I've, I've wasted probably two or three euros on prints that didn't go well. But overall, that's it's not a big deal. Yeah, I think most people would waste a lot more money on models that will never be, be built say, or painted. <laughs> about halfway through my dragon when I was painting that, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to buy another one. <laughs> I mean, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, and it kind of related to the cost, that it does just seem like this is the way that everything's going. And we um, we interviewed uh, interviewed uh, Grimbold a few weeks ago, which will be the last episode that everyone's uh, listened to, <laughs> and that'll, that'll give you a little bit of insight into how slow we are editing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we interviewed uh, Grimbold, and he was basically saying in California where he is this is what's taken over. And it's exactly what you were saying earlier, where one or two guys in a gaming group invested and bought the printer, and now they kind of run this kind of black market yep. <laughs> uh, miniatures kind of thing. Or a local store has bought like a big one yeah. and that people are just going with their STL files on their USB stick and printing off. And that he's, he was saying exactly what you were saying, that this is going to be, give it another kind of five years, yep. um, and this is going to be the new norm kind of. So yeah. what what does that mean for something like Ninth Age? So for Ninth Age, that is a huge positive. First of all, I just want to say that, that I have also noticed that with uh, new players coming in, I'm I'm pretty active on the Ninth Age Discord, where a lot of a lot of new players post there for some reason. I don't know. They I guess they don't want to go to the forums, uh, probably because of the you know scary uh, registration. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of new players who uh, who just jump into the Discord, and a lot of those players uh, want to start with 3D printing because you know, hey, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna make an army, 
and I might as well 3D print. So for the ninth age as a whole, it, it's it's going to be absolutely excellent. I think it's going it, to mainly because it lowers the uh, sort of designer or manufacturing barrier. So you can take flea market for example. Um, Flea Market is the uh, web store that's active on my mini factory that I made together with uh, forum users Little Joe and Thunderforge. Um, we kind of come into this from a kind of hobby perspective where we were all kind of into uh, 3D printing and 3D modeling and thinking, hey, you know, we could make some stuff. We could make some 3D models. But if we wanted to set up you know, a, a traditional company, we would have to, oh, there's so much work going into it. We would have to get a, a place to print all the things. We would need to do shipping and handling. We would have to deal with uh, imports, exports, uh, fees, um, legal. If, you know, if someone was to not get their shipment, you know, and, and want to raise some legal complaints, th there's a lot of, things that goes into actually starting up uh, a company making miniatures huge uh, huge undertaking yeah. but with digital it's a lot easier um, so like I said we're on my mini factory which is a, a platform specifically for uh, digital miniatures and that platform is great because we don't have to deal with a lot of things like um, uh, VAT or sales taxes. We don't have to deal with that. The platform deals with that. Um, we don't have to get our own website with its own payment processing thing. That's that's all uh, done by them. They take take 10% uh, of our revenue, but that's not a lot, all things considered. So for us, who mainly come at this from a hobby perspective, where it's like, like I said, this is a hobby within a hobby. We would like to make some cool uh, 3D model stuff, put it up for sale, and just kind of enjoy it, not think too much about it. We're not in it for the money. Uh, and we are actually able to do that with uh, digital miniatures and 3D printing. That's, that's, that's an undertaking that would have been too big for us to do kind of leisurely mm -hmm. as a hobby. So what that means for... Uh, the consumer or the player is that you're going to see a lot more people who uh, might not be full-time uh, miniature sculptors, but every now and then uh, they're going to put up some stuff uh, either through Patreon or a digital storefront like my manufactory. And in the end, what that means for you is that you have a wider range of models at your disposal, which is great for you. I mean, it's the it's the choice that's probably the most exciting thing, right? Yes, because you're exactly right. It's that it's that accessibility. Because I remember, you know, even a couple of years ago, there was a huge I can't remember which company it was, but there was a, a historical historical miniatures company that went bust, mm -hmm. and then the guys that owned it had this huge fallout over who controlled the casting molds. Yeah. Because, you know, for something like, especially metals, it's less so for plastics, but they're still quite expensive. For metals, you're talking thousands of pounds for just, you know, a set of casting molds. 
and uh, there was this huge dispute over like who owned them because they were going to try and sell them to another company and things like that. So, you know, you completely remove that with this kind of avenue. Is there then a risk that, and this is coming from, you know, this is devil's advocate, this is not what I think is going to happen, but just Mm -hmm. for an interesting conversation, is there a risk that you get the the tuna can 2.0 and that this becomes, uh, you know, Paul's, squares and my triangles uh <laughs> going against each other uh, yeah. you know at a major event is yeah, that yeah. a risk or do you think that's just that kind of no like... i don't think so uh you no no one's gonna get a 3d printer to print out squares like well, that is the that is the know, biggest waste of money i could ever think of i like squares man <laughs> yeah yeah you know what if someone actually here's the thing if someone actually 3d printed tuna cans and brought them to the game <laughs> i would respect that I wouldn't, but <laughs> I mean, if there I mean, were all pinheads, just... I'd, I'd be all for it. Yeah, I mean, like good, like resin tuna can, like that would be, that would be some serious effort going into that, and some serious humor. I, I could respect that. No, that, okay, I'm gonna actually let's write that up. I'm gonna, we might make this. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's your vermin abomination right there. Yeah. <laughs> the giant okay. tuna can. Um, no. So talking about some of that variation, so one of the latest things that we released on Flea Market uh, was a wheels pack. So we use the same kind of proportions and measurements that Games Workshop use for their wheels. So it's like, hey, do you want to buy a pack of wheels? Print out your wheels, get the wheels that suit you best and put them on your chariots and your war platforms and all these things. Uh, And then I decided, hey, you know what? I want to make a square wheel because it's fun and because it's possible. And in that wheels pack, there is now a square wheel. Great for your goblins uh, who don't know any better. So, and these kinds of things, you know, who would ever make a casting mold for a square wheel? Like, a, it's, <laughs> like it's a joke, right? That would never happen, but uh, digitally it'll happen. And yeah, I, I'll, I'll see if we can make uh, digital tuna cans happen. I think things like that as well, like having like all these like extra bits is another is is something to like three d printing that I didn't really ever consider because I mean Michael isn't i mean he's not your average I was gonna say he's not your average war gamer, but he's not your average human being, but like <laughs> he he will and I'm sure other people do do this like they'll buy kits not to build the models but because there's bits in there that they want. So like the opportunity to have a 3D printer and just, mm. you know, and just be like, you know what? I really like those, those weapon arms. Um, I like them better than the one you get in this kit. I'm just going to print off those and use them as, is, is really cool. Cause I mean, there's always, and, and just from using GW kits, I mean, there's always one or two really nice pieces that you only mm-hmm. get one of. Yeah. In a kit. That is the worst. So like the yep. ability to be like, oh, I'm just going to print 10 and then I've got yep. as many as I actually want is actually yep. really cool. I haven't thought about that before. Yeah, that's a huge thing because especially because I think that hampers your creativity a bit with those rare bits because you're like, shit, I need to save this bit for that one special model. Mm. And then you you never end up using it because you're still you're still holding on to it. Is there any issues here with, with stuff like uh, IP and things like that? So when you actually... Uh, I was going to mention this earlier when you're talking about pitfalls. When it comes to 3D printing, um, 
yeah, you're not you're probably not gonna have the you know pitfalls over legal battles over molds yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, but in the age of digital, uh, yeah, intellectual property, uh, piracy, these sorts of things are gonna become more of an issue because it's so easy to take something that someone else has done, make some, you know, and just, I mean, not necessarily even making any edits to it. Just, I'm going to print up a bunch of these stuff and sell them as my own. Who's going to stop me? No one. Yeah. Um, you can, you know, scanning is becoming more uh, more common. I don't think you'll be able to scan like a good quality model for yet another while. But eventually, you are going to see all the Games Workshop models uh, for sale digitally on Chinese or Russian sites. Yeah. And that that's going to be, or just even as a torrent download. Um, so that's good. That's the great pitfall where you, and, and we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. God bless our communist brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that it's not really a new issue though, right? Cause that's happening. Uh, just yes, now. you're right. It's, it's not a new issue. Um, however, it, it's, it's easier to do now. So you can take all those patrons, uh, you know, all those patrons, for instance. So you go on, you go on uh, Patreon, you get a bunch of digital downloads, um, and then you just resell those individually. It's it's so easy to do. Uh, you don't have to recast yourself. You don't have to go through all that effort. It's just, hey, I got a digital miniature. Time to pirate it. Time to put it on. You know, whichever torrent site you're on, and that I mean that's happening. There's there's already you know hidden Facebook groups on these where people just you know they just share the models with each other that they yeah. get from different patrons. Um, luckily, there are enough honest people in the world that actually do want to uh, pay the creators and get that kind of uh, you know uh, good service where their models are stored on my mini factory so they're always there for re-download even if you lose the files and stuff like that so it's still viable um but yeah it's it's there's a risk of it and the other big risk is going to be uh kind of labor costs mm. so because everything's digital you you can look at getting a um a sculptor a, a digital designer from europe or the u.s you know and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna take a pretty penny for their work because they're doing good work, specialized stuff. But in a couple of years, you're gonna have people from India and China who can sculpt just as well and for like a tenth of the price. Yeah. So there's, I mean, we already see some of these things in other industries like remote working with coding and uh, artists and stuff like that, where you can just for dirt cheap get a guy from southeast asia to do something for yeah a fraction of the cost it would require to hire a, a professional in a in a western country it's going to be really odd to see like obviously big commission painters are a thing it's going to be really weird to see like commission designers specifically that will make you whatever vision it is that you have for your 
3D printed army. Like I'm sure that's not. Yep. Yeah, that's I think not that's far away. It's it probably exists to a very limited extent, but yeah, I think what generally happens now is that, yep, it's it's the the miniature companies like the big ones, uh, like your Arts and Guild or Titan Forge, they will hire uh, 3D modelers mm-hmm. to do things for them, but that's you know that's a big they can afford to pay them well because you know they're gonna sell a lot of those uh, copies if you please. But uh, and and those those kinds of guys aren't interested to take a much lower pay grade to create something custom yeah. for you as an individual. But I, yeah, I, you're right. I think that's coming where people can say, "Hey, I can custom make some digital models for you the way you want them." I yeah. think and I think that's going to be awesome for for some people who are very uh, particular with what they're looking for in models. Yeah, yeah. and I mean. For people that do get into that level of design, I mean, obviously, if, if they're doing it as a hobby and yeah. they're not doing it as a business, then, mm. like, the prospect of being able to turn up to, like, a tournament with this completely original 3D-printed army yeah. that they've designed and painted is crazy. Yeah. Like, I mean, when we go to our gaming store, there will be people in there that are still playing 8th edition mm-hmm. and there, there's been the odd event and you'll be walking around and mm-hmm. there'll be a lot of nice really really nice painted armies but then everyone's you know they're all the same models yeah and and I see that too um, most um, most players in my scene and I think this is true across the board that most players are going to have a lion's share of their armies composed of games workshop models mm-hmm. there are going to be some you know some guys that are going to take you know oh i'm just going to do lubart now and i'm going to make my new army and it's all going to be from this range and that's great but but yeah it, it's a lot of games workshop and for that reason it stands out all the more when you come up with something original that like no one else has seen you say mm-hmm. wow what are these miniatures yeah i mean even just oh that's been like one of the big um kind of pluses to playing ninth ages because people can use anything more people mm-hmm. are going out their way to find alternatives so when you do play against an army even if they do have some gw minis they'll maybe have other things that you've never seen before yeah and i think that's one of the big draws for going to events even for people that aren't you know hardcore tournament players it's just people that are into the hobby because they know there's going to be things there that are going to be nice to look at yeah so having that extra 3D printing design element is really interesting, actually. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, you're absolutely right. Um, we have. I don't, I don't know how I haven't been to a lot of tournaments, but especially when you have these tournaments that actually do give out um, you know prizes for best painted armies or best painted models, and you have some people who go to tournaments to play more so on a casual level, but they really bring their A-game when it comes to painting. Mm. And that's always so cool to see when, when you walk across the the gaming tables and you just see, like, wow, here's an army that's with models you've never seen. They're so well-themed. It all goes together. The bases are amazing. And you just want to look at it for 
you know, minutes and they say, okay, I'm going to start playing the game now. You have to move away from my table. Stop looking at my army. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see. And I think we're going to see more of that as time goes on, which is great for everyone. Yeah. And it's everything else that incorporates as well. It's things like, you know, you can do 3D terrain mm-hmm. uh, that you're printing. Oh, yeah. and, uh, I mean, I know that's what, I mean, Dark Fantastic Mills, Gary, who um, does all our uh, tournament support for, for prizes and stuff, he is, he's obviously got a very, you know, high spanking, you know, function printer and things, but a lot of his stuff is is just 3D printed. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that being accessible to more people is surely a good thing yes and terrain is one of those things you know we've been talking about printing things like models but uh yeah a lot of things that we've done uh with with flea market as well is we've been putting up things like unit fillers uh terrain pieces sure yeah uh, because those are things that you know traditionally when when people come up with new sculpts uh the manufacturers they're they're putting most of their efforts into the miniatures for obvious reasons but there's a lot of things that you can do for your terrain, uh, especially when it comes to customization. So, you know, you have your tree. Okay, that's cool. But I want a tree with like surrounded by dwarven stones and stuff like that. Where are you going to find something like that? Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to. But you can make it yourself or, you know, someone will make it for you. Oh, exciting times. Does that make you... um? Obviously, with um, 2021 being the year of terrain, Andrew, does that make you look at 3D printing a little bit more, like as to give you more options for your terrain projects? Well, no, because I've already fucked it, haven't I? And bought everything. <laughs> you can always, you can always add. I mean, like you were, um, you were saying that you based everything on the old map packs, right? Yeah. So there yeah. might be the odd thing you might need in the future. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Um. Yeah, to bring you up to speed, on right? I, I'm doing a big terrain project, or I'm trying to. I've bought it. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually started yet. And uh, I got, I bought all the. There was, there's a guy in the forum who's been incredibly helpful, and he had this breakdown of all the possible terrain pieces that you would ever need using the map packs. So it was like you'll need three walls, two hills, one yeah. water, blah blah blah. And it's great. And I, I, you know, I ordered the MDF bases. They arrived. They looked fantastic. I ordered the terrain. Fantastic. Then the new map pack came out. <laughs> and uh, fucked it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to decide whether I'm just going to ignore the, the new map pack if I ever have yeah. to play it at, at the house uh, or not. But I think for, for stuff like terrain, it's awesome. Because, again, it's uh, everybody wants nice terrain. Mm-hmm. But the detail required for nice terrain is nowhere near the level of detail that you're, Definitely. you know, you're looking for for a centerpiece model. Yeah. And like even some of the stuff from, you know, the the stuff I bought from Dark Fantastic Mills, which is outstanding, really, really nice. Yeah. But it's I can I can I would imagine that something on a 3D printer that's not a huge ask. Yeah. No, it's it's really not. And the great thing too about terrain is that, um, yeah, I mean, you can really feel the uh, cost saving because uh, you, you're looking at purchasing a physical house like a good looking house that's expensive that's real expensive mm. uh, much cheaper to print but i think more so when it comes to to terrain what inspires me with 3d printing a terrain is not just the volume of it of getting all the pieces i need for all the map packs it's specifically 
I want a board where all the terrain fits my army. Yeah. That's the main thing. And that is facilitated a whole lot um, by 3D printing. So again, you know, you're looking at armies like Vermin Swarm. And you're thinking, okay, well, what can I make with Vermin Swarm? How much terrain can I purchase that will fit the Vermin Swarm? Sure. You know, you can, some barren trees, yeah, some rocks, okay, sure. That's kind of boring, right? So what if you say, okay, I want um, I want a, a, a hole in the ground and it's going to be rats coming out of it. That's the kind of terrain piece I'm looking for, my impassable terrains or stuff yeah. like that. Or um, I want to have a pipe, sewer pipe, and there's going to be a leakage and that's going to be my uh, my water terrain feature. A lot of that stuff is not available for purchase. You're either going to have to make it yourself the old school way and all the more power to you if that's the way you want to go. But you can also uh, get a lot of parts, like getting a pipe from like a free pipe STL from Thingiverse, super easy. Yeah. And then uh, just, you know, mix and match a bit with a 3D software and boom, you're going to have a, an awesome terrain piece to print out. Oh, it's exciting. I mean, you're going to be up in the arse end of nowhere, Andrew, so getting another 3D printer would be quite a good investment for you because you're not going to have to worry my hobby, about... Yeah. <laughs> you have to worry about getting shit delivered. Yeah, no, bloody hell. <sighs> yeah, I, I do kind of like... Just to kind of go back full circle, like yeah, a couple of years ago when this was starting to take place and you know there was the occasional person you heard buying a 3D printer, I did kind of think this is a fad and it's never going to be mm. at the level of something like a GW or a game zone or a, you know, a mom. Um, but over the last couple of years, or sorry, last kind of six months, couple of months, um, there's been a lot of really nice stuff. And like uh, Sean Hughes, one of the, the guys in the UK scene is printing a vermin swarm mm-hmm. army just now. And I, I don't know what the, the company was, but there's this giant kind of bubonic rat pope model uh that he's printed out and it looks amazing and yeah it might not be as crisp as something like games workshop but for a fraction of the price and if you take the time and still paint it nicely then that's going to be you know still a stunning model at the end of the day so yeah i i am tempted to agree that i think this is probably the way of things going forward oh for sure it's uh, i mean you look at all all the things throughout the past two decades or so music it's fully digital now. Gaming, getting fully digital. Movies, fully digital except for, you know, cinema. It's, it, modeling is just, it's just another thing that's going to go digital. Oh, the nostalgia pangs my heart, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get your Jurassic Park and VHS. <laughs> that in. Those were the days. I mean, you joke, but I think I probably still got it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, Awesome. Well, is there anything else anyone wants to bring up on this? Before we uh, not not for me. I don't know about you. If you want to, if, is there anything that we've not covered that you want to talk about? No, I think I think we've had a a long but fruitful uh, conversation. Uh, Excellent. I, I would just yeah, I would just like to real quick uh, shill for our flea market store page. Go for it. So, like I said, it's um, flea market is a a kind of project that me, uh, Little Joe, and Thunderforge, we run it together. Uh, eventually, we're going to look at bringing some more people on. Uh, 
for us it's a hobby within a hobby uh we collaborate a lot on the on the uh models that we put up on this on the storefront um because we are doing this mainly from a hobby perspective i think we we can offer some real kind of fun things that no one else is going to give you like square wheels or who knows maybe uh tuna cans in the future <laughs> um and and i think for people playing ninth age uh you are our primary audience like we we we're doing flea market just not not just because we want to learn and improve our 3d modeling skills uh or to sell you uh, awesome models but also because we want to promote 3d printing in the ninth age player base as well as promoting ninth age on a kind of digital uh platform where a lot of uh, people who are into miniatures go so it's uh i don't know it's, we are a very uh, well-rounded uh, group of people with uh, a lot of objectives that kind of all go hand in hand and that's why you should support us aside from just our awesome models <laughs> <laughs> so go and check that out um, I've already tried in advance, so if you just type in Flea Market Ninth Age, you'll find links in your search engine which you can uh, log in and go and check that out, and please do. Um, I know that you guys also have uh, a thread on the forum where you can find out more about this kind of stuff, is that right? Yes, and, and we are very, um, like I said, because we, we want to be here for the Ninth Age niche, so to speak, so we are very receptive to ideas from, from the players. Awesome. So if you want 100 Plague Monks, that's the person you need to go pester. <laughs> For more than one reason. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a fun question. Um, is there anything off the top of your head, Andrew, that you could think of that you would like someone to do? That you just, like, whether it be a piece of terrain or a gaming aid or something like that, you think, no one makes this. This would be really good if someone did this for my army. Um, not overly for my armies because i'm quite lucky you know like vampires there's loads of stuff out there but i know for things like uh sylvan elves beast herds they are probably the two armies off the top of my head uh, lizardmen before kind of lost kingdom mm. um they were the kind of armies that there weren't a huge amount of competitors in terms of producing the rank and file models so a lot of things that i found when it comes to these things is that you want to just kind of go look and see what's out there and then that will inspire you because a lot of people don't think that they want something until they see it so for an upcoming release for instance think goblins on turkeys with knives on them knives on the turkeys or knives on the goblins knives on the turkeys wow that's 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 another direction i thought that was gonna go (laughs) (laughs) yeah interesting I mean, I mean, you didn't know you wanted that, but you want it now. But it's like the halflings on pigs, and you're like, could that be Imperial Cavalry? I think <laughs> it could be. I'm really hoping that when they do the new Ogre book, one of the things that they, they bring in are dodo riders for scraplings. Mm. So I really want someone to make um, some little dodo minis. I mean, yeah, we just need to modify the turkeys, and we're there. Yeah, just, just turkeys without the knives um, <laughs> <laughs> would be good. 
So if you um, want to support Madget Radio, please go and buy Paul's STL files of uh, the patent pending Dodo Riders. Dodo Riders, yeah. yeah. We want with Dodo or without riders. knives. Yeah, that's I guess with 3D printing that would be an optional extra. There you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. That's that's the other thing that's great. You can, it's so easy to just make options. Here's yeah. a here's dodos with knives, dodos without knives. Because yeah. for us, just you click a button and the knives are hidden from the model, and then you export it. Yeah, exactly. Knives can be the um the the optional add-on that they might add in the book if you want to yeah. pimp them out. Yeah. You're putting a lot of stock and sell on this STL. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the only thing left to do is, once again, uh, tell everyone to go and check out the flea market. Again, just fire it into your search engine and and you can go and find it. We'll include all the relevant links and stuff in the show notes below. Massive thank you to Hombre for coming on and having a chat with us, not only about the 3D print and stuff, but again, a little bit insight into the background stuff as well. So we'll need to have back on to chat Vermin Swarm uh, in the future. Um, Pleasure is all mine, lads. Thank you. And uh, thank you to Paul for keeping everyone sane. That's right. Thanks thanks for having me again. I've not been kicked off the podcast yet, so <laughs> it's, it's gone pretty good. Again, you think that the power is in my hands, and it absolutely isn't. <laughs> 42 episodes in, and I'm still here. So it's all good. <laughs> if you do want to uh, send us any messages or any show kind of suggestions or anything like that you can do so through a variety of means you can grab us on twitter at scottish ninth age you can send us an email at scottish wildlands at gmail.com almost forgot it there you can get us on the forum paul is space and i am lost cause if you want to get in contact with hombre um he is hombre de mundo on the uh ninth age forum uh and he's Friends are Thunderforge and Little Joe. They are all part of the flea market if you want to get in contact with them as well. And that brings us to the end of the episode. So we hope you've enjoyed. Uh, We hope that you've all gone out and bought 3D printers uh, and that you're sitting next to very inquisitive and slightly disappointed spouses right about now. It's okay. Just just buy them some some cinnamon coke. Or, or, Or print them some on your printer. There you go. And for, in all seriousness, if Cinnamon Coker listens to this and they want to sponsor us, that'd be really good. Cool. Uh, so tune in next time to find out if that's happened. Uh, and we'll catch you in the next one. Yeah, to get you the next one.